0: Welcome to an episode of King's Conversations. Today's episode is all about the invisible nursing workforce, also known as overseas nurses. This episode comes at a very fitting time as the NHS just celebrated its 70th anniversary. We're joined today by Dr. Dilla Davis, an academic speaker here at King's College London, and also a campaigner for change in the nursing and midwifery policies. She's one of the best people to unravel the myths and share her expertise on how we can utilize and empower this nursing workforce. Thank you, Dilla, for joining us. Thank you, Megan, I'm happy to be here. So one of the first questions that we have is just how can we recognize and utilize this overseas nursing workforce?
1: Before we go on to how the UK is recognizing, I think uh, we need to uh, mention the levels of um, IE and internationally educated nurses in UK. So predominantly what we see is the international educated nurses being recruited straight into the NHS system. Okay. Um, They have to pass a number of loops uh, to get into the nursing and midwifery register, and then they start working in the NHS, and that's fine. Then we have another, the invisible nursing workforce. Uh, These nurses are, trained back in their home countries, but they are working in UK as unregistered practitioners. So when I say unregistered practitioners as band two, band three, or band four um, in the health and social care setting. So it is this small, not small. Um, we have evidence of more than 3000 of such nurses working in in, wow. in UK and in a low, low paid, undervalued kind of a framework. It is this cohort of nurses that the UK has not yet recognized. So um, the other um, nurses who are coming in through the normal channels, through the normal recruitment channels, um, they are being supported by um, the preceptorship, programs, orientations, pastoral care. um, And you have a number of international nursing and midwifery associations who support this recruitment and um, newly recruited nurses. However, uh, we turn a blind eye to these particular cohort of nurses. And
0: with that stratification of international nurses, how does that stratification even start?
1: The story begins uh, around in 2000, 2001. At that time when the international nurses came over to UK, when, when they were recruited, um, it, it was a very simplified process. They came over here, they followed an adaptation course, so in the NHS there's an adaptation uh, place for them through which they were supported by a mentor um, and um, uh, after four to six, year, uh, six months uh, they get their NMC uh, pin number. And the NMC PIN number, Yes, what is that? That is the Nursing and Midwifery Council Registration Personal Identification PIN number, which you need to uh, get to work in the NHS. Okay, so like that's how their
0: license is recognized in the UK here? Yes. Okay,
1: makes sense. We don't, I don't think it's a common term license, we say registration and the PIN number, yes, yeah. Um, So, um, but then, um, during that period, 2000, 2001, 2003, there was a lack or deficit of adaptation places, uh, funded adaptation places, so uh, uh, nurses, were coming in, but they were not getting these adaptation places. So what they did was they went to, uh, they paid and went to nursing homes to get that adaptation place and to get their PIN number. And then they uh, came into the NHS to work as a registered nurse. It is called the backdoor policy. Um, uh, But they came in to work. Then in 2005 onwards, Um, It was the lucky nurses who came in, to uh, who got got in through the uh, nursing homes, got their PIN number and came to work in the NHS. Mm -hmm. A large number of nurses still didn't get these adaptation nurses, or they couldn't fund for these adaptation places. They were left in a kind of a limbo. By that time, in 2005, Nursing and Midwifery Council started with an English language test. So any overseas nurse who came over, Apart from uh, European nurses, they have to undergo the English language test. Uh, They started off with the um, IELTS, the International English Language Test. That's the the first one. Um, And they have to pass at a score of seven, level seven. It was extremely hard for many of these nurses. They uh, they attempted 13, 14 times these exams, but they didn't get the required seven. They are getting so they are tested across the four domains of English language. They are um, the speaking, the listening, the writing, the reading, um, and they so they have to get seven across the four domains. Okay. Um, then over the, over the years, NMC said not just IELTS, we can have OET language test, that is Occupational English Language Test. Uh, even then, and the required score was B, even across the four domains, but even then, uh, these particular nurses found it very difficult because we have to understand the context uh, because the question would be, oh, the newly recruited nurses can pass these language tests. Why are these nurses who have been in this country for the past 16, 17 years, cannot pass these language tests? Yeah. These Newly recruited nurses, they have been trained, they have trained under the exam conditions to pass the language test. They have been focused to pass these tests. Whereas these nurses, they have been working in the English culture, adopting the language nuances, and um, they don't have enough money to go and um, undertake this language training. Mm -hmm. So they just pop in to do the language test and then they don't get the required score. So um, what happened was uh, it was brought to our attention. When I say our attention, I have a colleague who works as a South Asian organ donor, um, campaigner. So when when she goes from one part of the country to the other, she heard these stories of these nurses and um, she contacted the Nursing and Midwifery Council and said, why are you asking them to do these English language tests? Um, they are British citizens. So uh, then the Nursing and Midwifery Council said, where is the evidence for these particular nurses? Then she asked me uh, to get into the picture and that's how I got into the picture. So um, I put my research hat on and (laughs) then uh, we undertook a research. Um, It was um, quick and rapid research because we had to present the data at the Nursing and Midwifery Roundtable. So we did a questionnaire survey and it was just through the Facebook, closed Facebook groups. Um, we have a community, Kerala nurses community, so around 7,000 nurses are in there. So we just put it in there and within two weeks, we got 859 responses wow. just in that Facebook group. So we understood it was tip of the iceberg. Yeah. This this cohort of nurses and and the most poignant of all was, 13 of them were masters educated. Wow. It, it, it really upset me because I was just thinking it was my daughter doing a um, finished her masters in UK and then working as a band four or band three. So uh, we presented this data at the Nursing and Midwifery Council. Following that, um, the council agreed there is a case for change and um, they'd, uh, they uh, formed a group called the External Advisory Group we sat for a number of sessions, made few recommendations. So, in our research, we made put forward certain recommendations. And one was um, to acknowledge employers' reference for language prof- proficiency for these candidates who have been in this country for the past 16, 17 years and working in, an NHS, in a health and social care setting. So, they, they took on board that recommendation and they, um, and the EA, the external advisory group put forward a public consultation because it was a change in the policy. Yeah. Uh, re- a registration, overseas nurse registration policy. And um, after eight weeks of public consultation, the public agreed, uh, we need, it, there is a case for change. There's, there's a need for the policy to change to make it more easy, not easy, but we need to streamline the process for this for these nurses, and um, they agreed for the employers to um, provide a supplementary information regarding their language proficiency. NMC implemented that change in fe- on Feb 8th of this year, and since then, 220 um, of these nurses, who who whose life was like. Um, quite miserable, who suffered both mental and health, physical um, ill health because of their unregistered, unprofessional status, Um, they got their PIN number.
0: Well, it sounds like, so
1: you've been
0: able to make a lot of great change, it sounds like, with this invisible nursing workforce. What do you envision as the next steps for utilizing and harnessing the expertise of this nursing workforce, uh,
1: right? Um, again, a good question, <laughs> and I'm happy to answer that because we are working on that. Oh, so great. some of the trusts are happy; they are already proactive, and they have formulated a process through which they can support these nurses who want, who are unregistered at present, but they want to get registration through this. It is called SIF pathway. SIFE supporting information from okay. employers, SIFI or SIF pathway. So they are already. There, there are other trust uh, who is a bit reluctant. Yeah. Uh, uh, so um, where do you think that reluctancy like comes from? One is they are saying they are they have worked as an unregistered as an unregistered practitioner. So they do they have not had any communication or language proficiency as a nurse, as a registered nurse. Okay. Then they are saying they have did their training quite long back, so they don't have much of a skills and competence um, required for registration. Uh, and then they have to undertake a return to practice kind of a... Um,
0: like uh, clinical skill assessment? Yes, yeah.
1: Okay. But to them, uh, I, I would argue. My debate would be: um, these nurses are working as Band Three, Band Four in a clinical context. They are dealing with multi-professionals. They are dealing with patients, patient carers more than a Band Five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they are dealing with. They, they take the concerns of the patients to the registered nurses. There is communication yeah. happening regarding clinical skills these nurses have to pass something called um, um, objective structured clinical examination. Most of the nursing students would know about this, the OSCEs. So these overseas nurses um, have to pass a 10-stationed OSCE in which 75% of the communication skill is already assessed in these OSCEs. You can't do a... Uh, wound dressing without communicating with the patient, can yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and professional values are also assessed as well as evidence-based practice is also uh, assessed. So if you're giving a certificate, a past OSCE certificate to to whoever is assessing you, um, it, it 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 endorses that you have a good command of English language, you can perform these kinds of clinical skills, which a UK graduate can do, a newly uh, graduated nursing student can do. What more do you need? Plus these nurses have been taught and examined in English in their home countries. Plus they have done a computer-based test, which is a multiple choice questions, around 180 questions. about um, about the NMC Nursing and Midwifery Code, professional conduct, etc. So they are well versed. What about the nursing standards? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are working with NHS England uh, to make these trusts aware of these issues.
0: Okay, and I know. So there is a myth that streamlining the process for overseas nurses is going to somehow degrade the quality of the nursing care in the UK. Um, How would you respond to that myth?
1: It stands as a myth, because (laughs) uh, you are not diluting NMC nursing and midwifery standards. Um, And just at the risk of repeating myself, these nurses are being assessed exactly like a UK nursing um, graduate. They they have to um, Demonstrate they are skilled in evidence-based practice. They are, they have to um, demonstrate they are well versed with the nursing and midwifery code of practice, and that they can and practice um, according to the NMC uh, nursing and midwifery code. Yeah, and with that,
0: do you feel like there's different standards for different types of international nurses in um, terms of the perception of diluting? The standard of care?
1: The thing is, a nursing graduate student, they are not assessed for their language proficiency. They are assessed for their communication skills, how they communicate with, um, with their patients, with the doctors, with the other colleagues, etc. They don't undertake a language proficiency test. Whereas you are asking, the Nursing and Midwifery Council is asking the overseas nurses go and take a language proficiency test, in which they assess for the connective devices, the syntax, the grammar, co- 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 cohesive devices. These are all um, uh, in a language context. So, if you are teaching a language, you need yeah. to require all these things. But if you need to communicate in a clinical context. You need to show compassion. Yep. You need to show empathy. And uh, you need to know how you are going to break a bad news. Yeah. Uh, how you are going to introduce yourself to a patient, how to do a small talk. Mm-hmm. These kind of things. So that is not assessed by the language proficiency. Yeah. So you're, you, what you're taking is a kind of a double standard one for UK graduate nurses, one for overseas nurses. Yeah. If for UK graduates, they are assessed in the clinical context by somebody called the practice assessor, these employers. But for overseas nurse, uh, somebody oh, some outside agency is assessing whether they can communicate safely in a clinical context. Interesting. Well, and I also feel like from
0: the clinical side, it's kind of its own language anyway. So, yes. um a test might not always be able to capture the essence of how we might communicate as clinicians and within like a multidisciplinary team. Yeah. Um, Uh,
1: With this uh, myth, what you just mentioned about the double, kind of a two-tier system, there is this myth that if you pass the English language test, that's it. You are going to be successful in in your communication in the uh clinical context. No, I think we need to spend a few uh, months at least to adopt to the cultural nuances of that clinical context. I remember when I came um, in 2001, I said to my ward manager, the patient expired. And she looked at me like I've said something Greek or Latin, Um, and then she said, Dilla, you don't say patient expired. You say um, it's only the tablets and things like that which expire patients either pass away or, Yeah. but it, when I did my training, expired was a more um, good language, polite mm, language, yeah. we don't say passed away. So um, there's that d- difference. If a patient says I want to spend a penny, um, I don't think a newly recruited nurse would be able to understand what the patient means. Yeah. So these kind of uh, idioms uh, yeah. and phrases that we use, we need time to adjust to it.
0: Absolutely, because even like some of the drug names here are different, but it's the same drug. So if you're coming from somewhere that uses a different word for it, you might not necessarily understand the treatment plan right away. But after you've adjusted to like a clinical context, yes. you will have a better understanding of...
1: Just yeah. the clinical
0: language, which is always just so different, no matter where like you go,
1: and the accents. Yes, that's <laughs> another can of worms, isn't it? Um, I I hated to pick up the phone when I came, uh, then when the nurse uh, the phone rang, so I would quickly escape when I hear that phone. So my ward manager um, uh, once caught me, and for one whole week she gave me that kind of a uh, desk duty. So just to handle the phone calls. Yeah, like get confident with it. Yes, yeah. So that's, that's the way you pick up the language proficiency, yeah. communication skill, not through language test. The, yes, you need such linguistic gatekeeping uh, um, for academic purposes, but when it comes to, come to um, clinical context, you need more than that. Yes. Also, um, the scores that I said about 7 and B for ILTS 7 and OETB, uh, when you take those scores, it's quite high, high standard. I don't like to say high standard. There is something called the Common European Framework for Reference mm-hmm. for Languages, the CEFR. So it, it's for the global languages, for, every other, for all languages, for French, Sp- Spanish, or whatever it is. And across the six units, that's how the, uh, the proficiency is, um, is assessed. So the score that the Nursing and Midwifery Council is asking for these overseas nurses is C1, which is proficient. Yeah. Whereas in the nursing and midwifery policy, it says you should any nurse who is asking to gain entry to the register should have a good or adequate command of the language, of English language. Yeah. But here you are asking for an overseas nurse to be proficient in the language, whilst in the policy it says it is required, only adequate. Yeah. So adequate has been equated to proficiency. Uh, So when you scrutinize those kind of um, policy um, issues, you question, isn't it, you question why is that? Yeah. Um, And that's another area that we are working on to bring it uh, down. Um, So instead of C1, it is B2. Very cool. And I know um,
0: there's a myth that the UK won't even hire international nurses. Um, is that something that is true or will the NHS hire nurses inter- like that are from international countries?
1: Uh, let's hope it stays as a myth <laughs> <that> <laughs> because at present the NHS is staying um, because of the overseas nurses. The nursing and midwifery registration data uh-huh. suggests that over over last year, they had the highest amount of registrations, of which um, around 52,000 registrations, of which half, half of around 25,000 were UK graduates who got into uh-huh. these NMC registration. The other half, around 22, 23, was from the overseas. Oh, wow. So if you say they are not recruiting. Let's hope it stays y- yes, that way. <laughs> yeah. So he, you have that high amount of number of overseas nurses in UK, um, providing quality patient care to the, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we just had a question come in from a student
1: that I'm going to play. How can we ensure fair recognition of the international workforce here in the UK as part of our NHS? Two things, two cardinal things. One, when a nurse comes over, overseas nurse comes over here, she should, the the nurse should have equal opportunities. One of uh, equal opportunities for career progression or for further education, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the person requires. Uh, one of the recent surveys, um, University of Huddersfield, they did a survey and says, um, the newly re- recruited nurses don't yeah. have, the overseas nurses um don't have that kind of a career progression yeah. and that is um one of their um challenges the other I- uh, issue is about um the racial discrimination um the language that we use to um speak about these international nurses mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. derogatory so That's another issue. Third, uh, they are sold a kind of a a different picture of the NHS and UK life by the recruitment agencies. And it's only when they come over here, they understand that is not the reality. Yeah. Again, uh, one more thing is when they come over here, we always say you have to integrate, the overseas nurse has to integrate to the host culture. I would say it is a, two-way process, Yeah, Um, we have to, when I say we, um, NHS has to understand, acknowledge the cultural richness this overseas nurse brings over, the different kind of perceptions these nurses bring over.
0: Well, and I feel like in healthcare we preach cultural competency because you have families that you're treating from all different places, so to not recognize the cultural richness that international nurses can bring seems kind of counterintuitive to yeah. the cultural competency that we preach as like a clinical skill.
1: Yeah. Um, we always say again about orienting the new staff to mm-hmm. our system, but we also, whoever is in the in place, they also needs orientation to this new staff. Yeah. Their, their expertise, their experiences, what they are bringing in. And only then you can harness their skills and expertise. You spoke about perceptions, uh, wrong perceptions. And I think that's the biggest um, um, issue that um, we have to tackle. Uh, Even before you perceive an internationally educated nurse, um, you have certain dangerous assumptions in you. Yeah, one like of those dangerous assumptions is that these international educated nurses cannot speak good English yeah and they don't have such skills and training, proficiency or competency and one of the dangerous other dangerous assumption again I think is we think the British way of nursing is the best yeah. So, um, and when you develop policies based on these dangerous assumptions, instead of evidence, yeah, it can lead to systemic injustice. And one was this, um, one such as this unregistered practitioners, yeah. the invisible workforce.
0: Well, it sounds like, you know, through your position in campaigning for that, you've made a lot of great change to hopefully work
1: towards It was not one area. man... Thing. Yeah, we had a, <laughs> a good team. Uh, yes, a good team. My co- uh, um, colleague, um, as well as a few others, and um, NHS England, Health Education England, NMC themselves. And I think uh, when you go um, and s- debate and negotiate with such a powerful regulatory agency, yeah. you have 700- 7,800. Thousand registrants under this powerful regulatory body, and then you wonder how can they make mistakes? Whether they make mistakes, yeah. And then um, you scrutinize, you interrogate the policy, and you yeah. find these. But they acknowledged and they worked with us. And to, for them, yeah. hats off to them. Yeah. Well, and hats off to you because,
0: like I said, it sounds like your team healthcare is all about teamwork, and it sounds like it that's is. being put to the test as well in making yes. change in healthcare to hopefully have a lot more nurses coming into the NHS with a lot of really great expertise and background as international nurses, so.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, I think um, it is not a sole um, solution bringing in overseas nurses. Yeah, It is only part of a solution. (laughs) Um, But when you bring an overseas nurse, you bring the nation's culture over to here and we are moving towards a global kind of a health care isn't it absolutely yeah so that will enrich uh, British um, health and social care only enrich I think
0: (laughs) absolutely well (laughs) thank you so much Dilla I've very much enjoyed talking to you um, and thank you for being a part of King's conversations Um, thank you thank you Megan thank you
1: for the opportunity yeah thank you